Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today, and I trust you have been tuning in every week. Uh, for the last two weeks, I've had my son Jeremy uh, on the program with me. He is the pastor of a great church in Winchester, Virginia titled, called Word That Frees. You will see some uh, information on the screen as to where they're located. You would uh, be blessed to go by and uh, be part of one of their services. Uh, they meet on a Monday night at the Woodsman of the World Building in Winchester, Virginia on Boundary Road. And uh, you'd be blessed to go by there. It's great to have you on the program again with me, Jeremy. So uh, uh, we've been just talking and sharing and uh, some actually the idea to do the TV program really came out of a lot of our conversations just sitting on the porch talking and so um, that's kind of what gave birth to this we thought we ought to turn the cameras on let some folks listen in I might ought to say also that you can watch us if you've missed any of our programs you can go to our YouTube uh, feed and everything that we have aired to date is archived there you can go back and watch them for your convenience uh, there's a link straight to the YouTube page from my website at lenhouse.com and that's already on the screen there uh, and so you can go back in and catch up to where we're at we've been talking a lot um, about Matthew chapter 3 and I'm going to I'm going to read a verse or so from uh, uh, Matthew chapter 3 I'm going to read a couple of verses to set the stage again we've been talking about it without reading the scripture so I thought maybe we ought to read it a little bit this time, uh, just assuming everybody already knows uh, the scripture. But uh, we'll read it and then we'll get into some things here. So in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he, was, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Uh, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Now let me just say this before I read on here that he was warning them to flee from the wrath to come. The wrath he is warning them about would come in AD 70 when all of the covenantal promises that God made in the old covenant would come upon them because they had rejected the kingdom and rejected their Messiah. It's what he was talking about also when he said I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit that's for the believer, the Holy Spirit. And with an unquenchable fire, that's for the unbeliever. And his fan would be in his hand. He would thoroughly purge his floor. He would gather his wheat into the garner. That's the seed of the, that's the good seed of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom. That would be the believers. Mm -hmm. And the children of the wicked one, the tares were burnt with an unquenchable fire. That happened in AD 70 when the harvest and the, he thrust in the sickle and reaped. And that was the culmination of the covenant promise that all of these uh, plagues would come upon them. That's the wrath he's wanting them to flee from. Bring therefore fruits, meet for repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say to you, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. We talked about that in the last segment. It's very highly possible that these stones were the stones that they carried out of the River Jordan 
hundreds of years before this and, and said that when Joshua told me, he said, take some rocks out of the river, put it up as a memorial, because one day your children are going to ask you, what does this pile of rocks mean? And you're going to tell them when you see a priest carry an ark in the river, you're going to know it's time to cross over. John the Baptist was a priest. Now that, that happened in the book of Joshua, but here again we have a priest, John the Baptist, carrying Jesus the ark, the real covenant of the Lord, into the river Jordan, should have been screaming to these scribes and Pharisees, hey, this stack of rocks was put here for us to remember it's time to cross over. Everything about this is God offering the kingdom, first of all, to a first century Jewish people, and then as they reject it, He is going to take the kingdom from them and give it to a nation producing the fruit. Then He goes on to say, now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. Jesus answering said, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now we've covered a lot of stuff that was happening in the river here, but I want to cover something else because everything about this river is screaming transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. It is screaming, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, the one thing that I want to point out in this segment is that uh, this, this uh, John the Baptist, let me grab this from Malachi also, Malachi the fourth chapter. We did Malachi uh, three earlier uh, in a, a segment prior to this where we were talking about, you know, I will send my messenger before you. He'll prepare the way. And the messenger of the covenant, the Lord whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. He'll be like refiner's fire, like fuller soap. That judgment did begin at the house of God. Uh, God, He was offering them, first of all, the kingdom, and then the judgment came upon the house of God, A.D. 70. Again, that temple was destroyed that dismantled the last traces of that old covenant system. You know, I don't mean to just be eschatological, but some of these things are so vitally important because if you don't see that you still think somehow we are in an old covenant paradigm waiting on something to happen that's already happened. But one of the things that I want to see is that uh, chapter 4 of Malachi says, uh, Behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it may leave them root nor branch. But unto you the fear of my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall grow, go forth and grow up as calves of the saw. You shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. And that day that I do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Again, we are talking about this same season. The day that's coming is going to burn like an oven. You know, Jesus again prophesied this, Matthew 31. He gave it in a parable, and he said, you know, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. They're going to be gathered into the barn. Uh, the tares are the children of the wicked one. The Son of Man was the sower that sowed the seed. The harvest was the end of the age. Not the end of this age. It was the end of that old covenant age. We've got to see where these markers are at. 
and that day was coming that would burn like an oven. See, the thing about the day of the Lord, even Jeremy, is it's twofold. It's a great and terrible day. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, if you are on the believer side of it, it's a great day. If it's not, if you're not, it was a terrible day. There was a lot of people rejecting him. But he said, uh, he, he said, goes on to talk about, remember you the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him at Horeb all, for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord come. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's what John the Baptist is trying to do here when he's preaching, is he's trying to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He is not only that, but Elijah the prophet. What I'm after in this segment is that Jesus is asked the question later on. The prophets say that Elijah must first come. This is in Matthew 11. And he said, they ask, you know, Elijah must first come before the great terrible day of the Lord. And Jesus turns around and he says as plain as he knows how to, John the Baptist is Elijah, if you can hear it. And man, something went off in my spirit. If John the Baptist is Elijah, the J-A-H on the end of it is the Jehovah names. That's the name of God related to the old covenant law. The S-H-A on the end of Elisha means God is my salvation. So Elijah is a picture of old covenant. Elisha is a picture of new covenant. John the Baptist is Elijah. Jesus is God's salvation. Elijah was handing his mantle to Elisha in the river. Elijah hands his mantle to Elisha, and Elisha receives a double portion. The double portion is not something just measurable. It's the right of the firstborn. And the reason the firstborn got the double portion was because he had to take care of the rest of the family. Jesus was the firstborn. And everything that Elijah did was pluck up, tear down, pull down. But Elisha, he puts salt in the water. He makes an axe head float. That's what I'm going to capitalize here on. And he, uh, you know, he, he just, he restores, he has a dip in the river. Everything about him is salvation and restoration. But one of the things that I want to hit very powerfully is, once again, Elijah and Elisha cross over the River Jordan. I submit to our audience again that I think it highly possible again that this is the exact location again that Elijah and Elisha cross the River Jordan at. And the reason I'm saying that is because here is Elijah. John the Baptist is Elijah, Jesus said, if you can hear it. Mm-hmm. And if, if John the Baptist is Elijah, then Jesus is God's salvation. He is Elisha. He's about to receive. It's about to move from, you know, Jesus rebukes the disciples in one place. They said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? And Jesus rebukes them and said, you don't want spirit you're up. He's not rebuking them for having a demonic spirit. He's rebuking them for operating under an old covenant paradigm. And there's still a lot of that going on right now in the American church. But what I'm after is, I don't think it's an accident that it's very possible that at the exact same location in the River Jordan, I have a whole eight CD series called Elijah and Elisha. You can order off my website that deals with this. But what happened was, is that John, or John the Baptist and Jesus, or if I could say it like this, Elijah and Elisha are in the river at the exact same location because one of the first miracles that Elisha does after he comes up out of the River Jordan is he makes an axe head float. And I don't think it is an accident that when John the Baptist and Jesus are stepping down into the River Jordan, John says, God 
now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I submit to you, Jesus was the axe head, and he just floated to the top. And God was about to lay the axe to the root of that old covenant tree, that old covenant performance mentality, that old covenant dynamic. And he was saying to them once again, here's a picture. It's time to cross over out of judgmentalism into the salvation of God where we need to shift from doom, despair, and God is angry to God is my salvation. Jump in there. Not only that, but you look at uh, the, the prophecy of Malachi was that he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the son and the, hunt, <clears throat> the hearts of the sons or the hearts of the children to the fathers. When Jesus comes up out, Jesus is obedient to go to be baptized. He tells John, you know, this is, uh, it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. Mm -hmm. When he comes up out of the waters, the, the heart of the Father turns towards the Son and says, this is my Son, yep. whom I well pleased. Yep. So exactly as, you know, uh, Malachi is prophesying that's that Elijah good. will come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's exactly what was happening here in mm -hmm. the River Jordan as Jesus is coming up. The heart of the father turns toward the son, says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Jesus becomes obedient and, and, and is led by the father to do all that he he. He, he's called to do. Uh, I think it's another, you know, uh, I know this is a little jump, but even when you look at the similarity of Jesus being a picture of Elisha, yep. uh, the last miracle of Elisha is that it happens after his death. He's put, he's buried in a tomb. Uh, there's yep. a battle. A man is killed. They throw the body. They don't have time to bury the body. So they throw him in this tomb where Elisha is buried. When the man touches the bones of Elisha, he comes alive. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what's happening to us. We were dead in trespasses and sin, but when we identify with the death of Jesus Preach, and we identify with his, his death, burial, uh, and resurrection, we, we, we come from, we, we, are trans, we are transformed from death into life. Mm -hmm. We are brought back to life because we are identifying with the death of Jesus. So just as, a, uh, as, a, uh, as another picture of uh, Jesus being a picture of Elisha, the, even the, the last miracle of Elisha is the same as the miracles of Jesus, the miracle, the last miracle of Jesus is, is not even a last miracle, it's a continual miracle, is that as we identify with his death, we are made alive, we are brought back to that place of life. Uh, it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's, we always talk about how inexhaustible uh, the revelation of what Jesus is, is that all the scripture, you know, we talk about even how all the Old Testament was a picture that pointed to Christ. It was uh, in the shadow of the cross. It was in types and shadows. And that when you really begin, like I said, I think that's why we really need uh, to really focus on what Christ really did. You know, one of the focuses we've always said uh, in, in religion has been that the focus is always on sin, where our shortcomings are, what we're doing wrong, how one day maybe the king yeah. will be good enough for the kingdom to mm -hmm. come. Maybe one day we'll be good enough, you know, for Jesus to, to come back. And uh, to me, that negates the power of what Jesus has already done and yeah. what he's already provided for us. When we really understand, when we preach Jesus and him crucified, uh, that's what brings us to an understanding of the kingdom. You know, we talk, we say all the time, the kingdom is available to us now. There are probably a lot of people that listen to us and think we're crazy. Uh, because they look at the news, they look at the circumstances in the world and say, well, how can that be true mm -hmm. when look how bad things are? Mm -hmm. But see, that's a perspective that we've been taught to look at. And what the scripture says is that... And then we, we snap into the Elijah mode. We want to prophesy doom and despair and judgment and rather than... 
Go ahead. We want to call fire down from heaven, yep. all that stuff, uh, because that's the that's the paradigm that kind of teaching brings you into, yes. is that when you don't see the fulfillment of what Jesus did to fill everything that the old covenant required, all of its judgments, all of its curses, all of its uh, destruction, everything that that old covenant required, Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He came to make sure that was fulfilled so that we can live in a new covenant, in a new kingdom where Jesus... Jesus isn't going to reign one day. Jesus is reigning right now. He's yep. Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He's doing that right now, not someday, right now. Uh, like I said, uh, so we, because we've been taught so much legalism and we've been taught the, the Elijah paradigm, uh, it's hard for us sometimes when people say that, it's hard for us to snap out of that way of thinking because, like I said, we turn on our news, we turn on Facebook, or wherever it is that we get our media from. Uh, and we look at that and say, well, there's bad things all around. You know, there's there's killer clowns on the loose and, and you know, uh, there's there's floods happening. There's, you know, earthquakes and there's, you know, uh, just all kinds of crazy stuff that you see all the time. And we go, well, how can this be true when this is what I see? Uh, but it will. That's all we'll ever see until we are. Until we change. We have a repentance, or we have a change of focus to what Jesus came to fulfill. One of the first. Uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, and I, I know I keep going back there, but that's just one of the that's things fun. I've been teaching in yeah. our church. But the the message of the four beasts is a message that says, come and see. Come and see. And what they're trying to get John to come and see is what the Lamb has fulfilled. That's right. Now, from an old paradigm, even still, if you read if you read the book of Revelation from an old paradigm, not understanding what Jesus came and fulfilled, you'll look and say, well, all they're telling to come and see are these four horses that, you know, we all say is the four horses of the apocalypse mm -hmm. that's coming to prophesy destruction in the world. Uh, but if you begin to understand the fulfillment of Jesus, those horses change from being prophets of destructions to prophets of what Jesus has already fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, the message of heaven is that if you put your focus on Jesus, you'll see that there's this not... This is what you've been redeemed this from. This is what you've been redeemed from. If your paradigm is still an Elijah mentality, an old covenant paradigm, it's going to say that this is what's coming, this is what's in your future. Mm -hmm. but so when one you, would be, again, the great and terrible day. So to the believer, it is the great day because this is what you've been redeemed from. Yep. And to the unbeliever, it's terrible because this was the, you know, the plagues that came upon apostate Israel in A.D. 70. Yeah. Even even when when John looks at you know all all of Israel's coming out to this baptism, where John is baptizing, when he looks at the scribes and Pharisees, the thing he says to them is, "O generation of vipers, who has warned you?" Mm -hmm. Now he's calling them a generation of vipers. A viper is a snake. Mm -hmm. What he's getting them to do is, is what he's saying to them is he's going back because another place Jesus will say, "You're of your father the devil." So he's comparing these scribes and Pharisees who have kept people in bondage to the law, kept them servitude, kept them, you know, uh, under this curse and saying, you are just like that serpent that beguiled uh, the first son. Mm -hmm. 
you know, but what I'm here to tell you is that this son here won't be beguiled. He won't be, you won't trick him into losing his identity. Right. Matter of fact, what he's going to do is not, not, not only is he not going to be tricked into his identity, he's going to awaken many sons to the identity mm -hmm. of their sonship and bring them back to the place where they can operate, uh, you know, to me, the kingdom and the Eden or the paradise of God is synonymous. It's the same place. Mm -hmm. And that if you awaken to your identity in Christ, what you'll do is awakened back in, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I heard somebody say one time is that in, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam, a deep sleep fell on Adam, and that's where God brought a rib, but there's no scripture that says that Adam woke up from that. Uh, what Jesus came, comes to do is to awaken us to righteousness so that we sin not. What he's trying to do is that Adam fell asleep and there was a nightmare that happened. And it looked like the world was in bad shape. But if we awaken to righteousness, we wake up from that dream. What we'll realize is that the world's not in bad shape at all. We're still in the paradise of God. And that God's still in control and that our relationship hasn't been broken because Jesus has uh, restored it all. He was the Elisha mm -hmm. that didn't bring destruction. He brought restoration. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, that one of the first miracles, again, that Elisha does is he comes, I believe it is, into the city of Jericho. And he said, the situation of this city is pleasant, but the water here will kill you, and the land's not producing anything. Now, that's just, <laughs> it's almost a oxymoron. The situation of this city is pleasant, yep. but the water here will kill you, and the land ain't produce nothing. Sometimes it sounds like religion to me. Yeah. The condition of religion under Elijah, or if you will, under law. But Elisha comes in, and the Lord says to him, go get a cruise of water and salt, and put the salt and water together, and put it in the water, and it'll heal the water. And the water was healed. And uh, I think it's interesting, you know, in that series that I did, by the way, again, you can order this series called Elijah and Elisha uh, through our website, where I deal with uh, almost every miracle, like you said, that Elisha does, is a picture of New Covenant stuff. Mm -hmm clear down to his last miracle is somebody get thrown in on his dead bones. But when he put salt in the water, man, when he put this cruise of water and salt into this water where the situation of this city was pleasant, but the water will kill you, land's not producing anything. Some to me, it sounds like, again, religion to me. Mm -hmm. But then I went over, I believe it is in the book of Colossians, I didn't look it up because when we're having conversation, this is not prescripted. Mm -hmm. But in Colossians it says, let every word be salted with grace. Yep. So the message of grace is the salt that has to go into the water of the city. Because one of the things the message of grace will do is it'll take the bitterness out of it. Yep. It'll take the, it, and then the land will begin to produce again. You know, in other words, real fruit comes. It yields what the scripture calls the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so when we put the message of grace in the water, then the waters are healed. And I believe that's one of the things that's happening. One of the things that's healing is our attitudes towards what called out fire from heaven on everything. Again, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, horrible hurricanes come, earthquakes come, or whatever it is. We've seen it over years and years. People, well, this is the judgment of God. This, this, is, this is an act of God. No, I beg to differ with that. That's not an act of God. That's an act or that is the result of a creation that's groaning and travailing for the manifestation of sons of God. If you want to see what an act of God is, it's when Jesus stands up in the middle of a typhoon or a hurricane on the ship and says to the wind and the seas, 
obey me. And when he speaks to those, see, that's an act of God. Because the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, he came to save them. Because people in the path of these destructions are not only unbelievers, they're believers as well yep. that end up in catastrophe and, and uh, all of these things hurt everyone. An act of God is not when some catastrophe hits. Matter of fact, an act of God is when the first responders on the scene with real money and real boots on the ground are not our organizations, but they're the local churches that are sent people. Even when we just had these horrendous floods in West Virginia, people from our own local church went down there and helped the people with bleach and water clean their homes. That's an act of God. That's the hands of God. That's the people of God on the scenes when the ones who respond and bring water, food, and ease the suffering of the human condition. That's the kingdom of God in operation right now, you know. Yep. Yeah, and when you when you begin, and again, you know, one of the things we were talking about in several, uh, you know, in the last couple of even times we were together, about the Holy Spirit. See, that's, there's, the Holy Spirit responds that way because He comes to, to not destroy, to heal. So, you know, that's why when I look at things and you see bad things happen, uh, the stories I always love is that after bad things happen, the response of people to that is that they come to, you know, I remember even after 9-11, you know, it, people's response and the outpour to go and to rebuild and to help, you know, uh, uh, you know, dig through the wreckage or whatever it was. Anytime there's ever any kind of catastrophe, there's always a response of people, you know. What, to me, it's religion always says, well, this was the judgment of God. But the true heart of God is that people, when the people yeah. respond and if say, If it's I'm the judgment of God, why go help them? Yep. <laughs> you know, but something inside of us causes us to do those things because that's what the heart of God really is. And there's something inside of us called the Holy Spirit that responds the way God responds. And we do how, you know, it's like whenever there's a story that somebody tells that's a, that, that, you know, one of the things I, I'm very rarely get teared up or very rarely, you know, uh, have an emo- you know, emotional response uh, like crying. But one of the things that always tears me up is when I hear about somebody doing something good for somebody. Yeah. You know, when somebody just blessing somebody that ne- that was in need or just doing good things. To me, that always causes a response out of me. I, I know, uh, you know, even the television show Ellen, you know, and I know that as Christians, you know, people have a problem with her because of her lifestyle. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something about that woman that has a heart in her that wants to help people. And to me, I wish that the church would get more of, a, uh, of an attitude of that because there's something about helping people and being a response to people that are in need that to me, that's the heart of God. Something yeah. inside of me. Yeah. The reason there's an emotional response is because there's something in me called the Holy Spirit that is the heart of God that says that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. That's what we're here for in this earth because yeah. that's really the kingdom. Yep. You know, one of the things Jesus says, if you hear about blind eyes open, that means the kingdom has come to you. Yeah. If you hear about people being, being helped and that uh, the, the 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 love of God is being poured out. Well, that means the kingdom has come. So there yep. needs to be a response in the church that responds more like the heart of God would. Yep. That when there are catastrophes, we don't stand up and say, well, this was the judgment. We stand up and say, how can we help? Yeah. Because that's really what the heart of yep. God is. Jesus would put a, cru- you know, Jesus would come or Elijah would come and put a cruise of oil 
or a cruise of salt in the water and heal the waters. He would, he would make an axe head float so that we can continue to build the kingdom because that's the response of the heart of God. That's the response of the kingdom, and that should be the response in the heart of the church. Yes, sir. That any time there's a catastrophe, any time there's a need, we don't respond and say, look how bad it is. We respond and say, what could we do to change this? I'm telling you, that's, we're just about to run out of time, but that's absolutely the heart of what we're saying in the gospel. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. God's not trying to destroy people. He's out to bring redemption. God is not trying to destroy America. Americans are destroying America. God's standing there saying, are you ready for my help yet? Just call on me. I'm there. Uh, if you've been enjoying the program, let me just encourage you to call the number on the screen or go to our website or write us a letter. Include, if you will, uh, a generous gift that helps us to be able to stay on the air, take the gospel like this around the world. It is your partnership. It is your donations that help us. You could go online and sign up also for our message of the month club and you'll get a CD every month of a message like this, some place we've preached around the world, and then you will get our itinerary and you'll be able to hear from us on a regular basis. Why don't you go do that today? Again, the website is on the screen. Do it today. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.